Hi friends, Gerald Law here. Welcome to the Love Lake Norman podcast. Love Lake Norman is a church in Cornelius, North Carolina, whose mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. You're about to hear a message that will be helpful and hopeful. Our goal is to encourage you to take the next step in your faith. Wherever you are, we want you to know that God has a plan and a purpose for you. Thanks for spending time with us today. We hope you enjoy this message. Since the COVID era began, you probably spent more time with your family than ever before, which makes today's topic especially relevant. Whether you are married or single or an adult or uh, or a kid, we're going to talk today about the secret sauce for healthy relationships. And I will go ahead and tip my hand right off the bat and say that this passage that we're going to look at today has generated a fair bit of controversy over the years. Uh, The Apostle Paul is going to dig into family relationships with us because the truth is that the gospel is, at the end of the day, incredibly practical. Following Jesus, if we're really going to be a follower and not just a fan, will impact every area of our lives, including our most important relationships. So when we read the Bible, we automatically see what it's saying through the lens of what we experience today. We really can't help but do that. And so if we read about relationships like marriage, we're going to judge what he is saying based on what we see. And and in that area, what do we see today, specifically in the area of marriage? Divorce rates continue to be high, even in the church. People entering into marriage with sort of a built-in escape route, if things get tough, we see sometimes an approach to marriage that looks like a a 50-50 compromise more than a 100% commitment. We see a misunderstanding of what love really is, that that it's more about feelings and emotions and experiences than it is about commitment and sacrifice. There's a feeling sometimes that the grass in this relationship is greener on the other side. A lot of people experience it that way. That's a little bit of the context of marriage that that we think about here in 2022. But the Apostle Paul was writing in the first century where marriage and family and relationships in general were approached in a much, much different way. Wives and children were considered to be little more than property owned by the man of the household. Male children were valued over female and and, and sometimes to the point of if a girl was born, she wasn't even kept. Uh, A pastor and author named Matt Smethurst tweeted this last week. He said, uh, he quoted, if it's a boy, keep it. If it's a girl, throw it out. And that quote was from a letter from a traveling worker to his wife back at home in Egypt in 1 BC. And in the world of ancient Christianity, he said this logic wasn't repulsive, it was assumed. The rise of Christianity made it repulsive. Jesus had brought a sudden, incredibly important change in every aspect of life, including relationships. And so in in spite of a culture that degraded women and children, the home was absolutely vital to the life of the church. And and what Paul is writing here isn't, isn't a side note. It wasn't just an, oh, by the way, it was of critical importance because he knew that, that what goes on in the home, in the house, is reflected in the church. And, and what happens in the church impacts the community and the cause of Christ. And so he talks about wives and husbands and their relationship. He talks about parents and children and their relationship. And, and, and largely those relationships, in a, in a lot of ways, like today, were broken. They were struggling, and sometimes they were even abusive. Husbands abusive towards their wives, parents towards 
their children. And, and what Paul wants to do and, and what we are called to do, if you're a Christ follower, is to bring the gospel to bear on every relationship that you have. The gospel is for our entire lives, for all of it, okay? We, we talked in a previous message about how your faith is like a house and Jesus wants to come into your house and if you invite him in, he will come. But he's not content to come into the foyer of your home and hang out there or just to come into the formal living room and have a, like a cup of tea and cordially and politely have a very quiet conversation with you. No, that's not how he operates. He wants it, it all. He wants us to invite him into it all, room by room by room. And even the dark closet in the corner that we wish that he would just ignore and even and especially he wants to be invited into our most important relationships. And so, like I mentioned, what he says, what Paul says about wives and husbands, when, when you first hear it, it, it sounds harsh. This passage has been used by some as an argument against the church and even as a reason that some people have rejected Christianity altogether. But I believe that if we will suspend judgment for a few minutes and really dig into what he's saying, it begins to make a lot of sense. Here's what he says, beginning with Colossians 3.18. Wives, submit to your husbands as, in, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now, to understand this, first, we need to know that the marriage relationship in that day was absolutely not seen as a relationship of equals culturally. Like women had no status in a marriage relationship legally or otherwise. The husband was the only full legal uh, person in the family and he had basically absolute authority over his wife and his children, legally speaking. So, so let's talk about the word that's the most inflammatory here, the most controversial here, the word submit. You might cringe when you hear that word. Here's what's very important to know about this word. The verb submit in the Greek has this idea, not, not like, hey wife, you're completely inferior to, me, inferior to me as a husband, but it's like this, submit is this, a modest cooperative demeanor that puts others first. Now that kind of attitude was something new, something that Jesus himself introduced and not just for wives, not just for servants, for everyone who followed him. This is all over the New Testament, but, but one area in particular stands out from Mark chapter 10, Jesus called his disciples together and he said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the attitude that we're all to have toward one another. Even Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give up his life for us. And so it's really important to point out right here that Paul takes the same idea on marriage. And, and in the book of Ephesians, one of the other letters he writes, he expands upon it more than here. But the main headline in Ephesians is this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The idea in Christian marriage is one of, of mutual Submission, not one person being subservient to the other all the time, not one person domineering over the other. Paul's implying in this comment about wives and husbands, something that the culture around them didn't buy into or understand. That was the wife was an equal person in this relationship and that she was someone deeply loved by God and was someone with her own rights that she could choose 
whether to lay down these things or not. He's not telling wives to obey their husbands. He's saying this is a voluntary submission. And the wife isn't the only one who has something to do here, is she? The only one with a responsibility. He says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And this is an incredibly demanding thing as well. He's saying Christian marriage isn't just a legal arrangement or a relationship of two unequal people. It's a relationship of two equals submitting themselves in love to one another. And so many times I've heard in doing premarital counseling with couples or marriage counseling or just in conversation that marriage is a 50-50 thing, right? It's, It's meeting each other halfway. It's compromise. But honestly, Christian marriage is where you give the other person 100% and you die to yourself because it's not just about you meeting my needs. When you both submit to one another, you're saying, I'm going to put your needs over my own. I'm going to die to myself and put you first. And when you both do that, it's a powerful, powerful relationship that reflects the attitude Jesus had when he said, I came not to be served, but to serve. Paul also says to husbands, do not be harsh. And this automatically rules out being overbearing and dominating and and intimidating towards your wife. It means not becoming bitter or resentful toward her, even when things don't go your way. And and there are definitely times in your marriage where uh, things are not going to go your way. Let's get to the next part of this passage too, though. It says this, children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. In that day, again, kids were legally their parents' property. Parents could have their kids thrown into jail or sold or even worse. Like, I remind my kids about that all the time. But Paul is writing to parents who knew Jesus, who are in Christ, remember? And so his assumption is this, first of all, that that parents have the best interest of their kids in mind. Now, that's the backdrop for him saying, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. When, when your parents make you do something, kids, like uh, obey your curfew or clean your room or not go to that party and you don't like it, here's the thing. They have perspective that you don't have. God does that as a father for us, right? He gave us the Ten Commandments. You know why he gave us those? Because he has our best interest in mind. Even if we want to lie or cheat or steal, he knows that there's a better way. And he has perspective that we cannot possibly have. That's the way it is with your parents. And I know if you're a kid, you don't really want to hear this, but your parents have perspective that you can't possibly have. They've been there and they've done that and they got the t-shirt and they paid the price. And so it pays off in the end for you to listen to your parents and do what they say. I remember having fights about my, uh, you know, with my parents about, about when it came to my curfew time when I was a teenager, because it seemed like all my friends either had a later one or they didn't have one at all. And it made me mad. But that doesn't get around to this very one real and universal truth that my parents knew that I did not. And it's that nothing good happens after 12 a.m. Like nothing. When my kids were younger, I had plenty of moments where I yelled at them as they were about to cross, like run into the street. Or if they happened to break free of my hand and start to run in the parking lot, I would yell at them. I have screamed, you know, bloody murder at them to get them to stop. Why? Because I know what could happen if they don't. 
They may have felt like, why dad is yelling at me at the, at the time. That's probably how they felt. And they would even cry because why would that, why would I do that? I knew the consequences of not doing anything. And I'm not saying go yell at your kids. The point is your parents typically know what's best for you. But then Paul in, in his brilliance adds the instruction specifically for fathers. He says, fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. And man, I I have seen that happen. Like I've coached my sons in rec league basketball for a lot of years now. And I have seen dad after dad after dad do this to their son or their daughter, like pushing them, criticizing them in front of their friends, challenging them, sometimes embarrassing them on the court. Your job is to love your kids, to bring them up in Christ, to provide boundaries and discipline consistently and to encourage them. It's, it's not to be their drill sergeant and to control every aspect of their lives. Like your ultimate goal with your kids is not for them to be a disciplined robot. It is relationship. And I, I see this as my kids have gotten older. What I want most is a relationship with them into their adult years where we can share life and talk about faith and be connected in meaningful and joyful and fun ways. And there are times where out of my anger or lack of consideration, I can say things and do things that alienate them. And I've done that before and I've, I've had to go back and apologize to my kids at times. And that's part of it too, like learning when to say I'm wrong. The best parents I know provide discipline in the context of love. And that leads to healthy relationships, not kids becoming embittered and ultimately discouraged. The other way to embitter them and discourage your kids, by the way, is by not being involved. Like too many parents in our world take their hands off the wheel because they feel like this, this parenting thing is too complicated, like it's too complex and they don't know what to say. They don't know what to do. And so they do nothing. And that is actually another pathway that leads to the same place for your kid, them being embittered, them being discouraged. And so then Paul, in this passage, writes about another relationship that was part of life in that day, and and it's a relationship that we don't have around us today, thankfully. He says this, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and, and do it, not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human Masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you're serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Now, Paul would be the first to step back and to say this. Christianity stands for freedom from oppression in all its forms. It stands for the dignity of human life from the womb to the tomb and that no human should be allowed to enslave another. But slavery was a reality that Paul couldn't just abolish on his own or ignore. And what he's doing here is not legitimizing slavery, like saying that it's okay, very, very far from it. He's actually addressing slaves as responsible human beings, which was groundbreaking in that day because they were looked at, honestly, like a dog or a cow, just another piece of property. Most people thought that slaves were morally incapable of deciding to do anything good. They they, they couldn't even do it. They were just controlled by their passions and their desires, and they had to be strictly disciplined. Paul's saying to them, hey, this isn't ultimately where you're going to be. This isn't, you are going to be free. But while you are here, whatever you do, do it as if you are doing it for the Lord. Not that you're 
human master is the Lord or that he's right for keeping you enslaved. He is not. But he's addressing, Paul is, what the passage last week brought up, this idea that it doesn't matter what you do, it's how you do it. You could be a, a tax advisor, a teacher, a CEO, a garbage truck worker, or yes, even a slave, and you can take pride in the things that you do. You can approach that job working to the best of your ability, using it with using all your gifts. And, and maybe he was even thinking back to Joseph in the Old Testament who became enslaved, but never lost sight of God in the process, never lost hope, never lost his faith, and worked as hard as he could in whatever he had in front of him. And in the process, he honored God and he changed people's lives around him, even as a slave. And all those instructions to the like quote unquote weaker or powerless members of these pairs of people he's talking about, the wives, the children, the slaves. He's saying, you stronger people, the husbands, parents, masters, you not only have rights, you have extra duties. And those who are supposed to submit or obey, you may have duties, but you also have rights. And he's telling the church that in God's view, they are equal partners and have all the rights anyone else does. N.T. Wright, in his uh, commentary on Colossians, says this. He says that Christ releases you to be truly human. And you must now learn to express yourself according to the divine pattern, not in self-assertion, but in self-giving. Paul's moving the ball down the field in terms of what it means to be truly human. That, That because of Christ, we can submit to one another out of real, sacrificial love. So let's step back and look from a bigger perspective and talk for just a minute about what this means for us, how we live in our family. And and I'll just say this too, especially if you're single right now, how we live in our relationships, it matters. How we relate to people says a lot about our faith. And it's very possible, we see it all the time, it's very possible to win the battles at work in your career, to win the battles of status, to win the battles of financial success and of fame and popularity and lose the war at home. Pastor Andy Stanley has said it like this before, that you are going to have to cheat somebody in your life with your time and energy, and that ends up being either your work or your marriage or your kids. So the question becomes, who are you going to cheat? And I hope that the answer isn't your marriage and, and isn't your kids. And this is where a new life in Christ becomes really practical as it fleshes itself out in our daily lives, because what this new life has enabled us to do is that it's enabled submissiveness that puts others first. It enables a love that refuses to grow bitter. It enables obedience. It enables supportive and encouraging parenting. And it enables a devotion to doing our work well. And listen, in in marriages, we put too much emphasis on the wedding and not nearly enough on the marriage. In movies, it's always the wedding that's like the climax of the movie and then what? They live happily ever after, right? In real life, The wedding is the beginning of a lifelong adventure together, and you can pretty easily see what causes that adventure to become a nightmare in people's lives. It's evident in the first couple of chapters of the book of Genesis, when it falls apart for Adam and Eve. What kills a relationship? The desire to possess, to keep, to hold, to dominate, and to crush the other person. And let me just say this, the word submit has been used to do terrible things 
The, the, the word submit has been used to do awful things in our world. We have a culture of violence against women in the home, in the workplace, and, and uh, through a lot of things in our society. For example, pornography. And we're never to misuse a word like the word submit to apply pressure on, on wives to put up with their husband's abuse emotionally, physically, sexually, or abuse of children in any way. Wives aren't called to take it without complaining. Abusers need accountability and they need treatment and wives and children in those situations need protection. And that's how we love people well. Submission is not submersion. Submersion means you lose your whole personality to another person. Like you don't even know who you are anymore. You can actually only submit to the other person when you have a really healthy sense of your own self. That's how you submit. So what's the opposite, the opposite of submission? It's believing my needs are more important than anybody else's. Here's how that plays out. Like a, a lack of consideration for the other person. Indifference to their needs. That's the opposite of submission. Arrogance in the relationship. Living only in the present with no promise of commitment. Submission, on the other hand, says this. Submission says, I commit my entire life and all of its possibilities to you. I want the best for you. Submission says, I accept the demands of this relationship and I won't get bitter or count up who did what. It says this, I accept the responsibility of your problems as my own. Successful relationships are based in love, and love is a command, it is not a suggestion, which means that it's more than just a feeling, whether in a marriage or a friendship or with your children or your parents, it's not just a feeling. Love is a decision that we make, a decision that involves us submitting to and sacrificing for one another over and over and over again, not losing ourselves, not losing our personalities or losing our dreams even, but when we live in this kind of love with one another, in our marriages, with our kids, with our friends, in our church, well, that's what the early church did. And God used that attitude of love to cause his church to sweep through the community, the city, and eventually the world, a world that was starved for just that kind of love. Can he do that again? Will he do that again? Will he sweep through the Lake Norman area with a wave of sacrificial countercultural love that wins people to Jesus and grows believers up in the faith? I believe that the answer to that question is yes, but it will start with us. Let's pray. God, this supernatural love is just that. It's from you, it's not from us. Would you just allow your love to course through um, us? Uh, first in our hearts, in the place that is uh, the, the, the house, the home of our faith. Would you come into every room and, and bring your um, incredibly sacrificial love and then would you allow that love to be um, shown in our world, in our relationships, the ones that are the most important to us, in our deep friendships, in our marriages, in our um, relationships with our kids and our parents, and, and within our church, would you let uh, the, the love that requires something of us, that requires sacrifice, that it requires submission, would you allow us to do that for one another and for our community because that's how Jesus loved us. And, and you're the model for that, Father. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. 
Amen. Thanks again for listening. You can find out more about Love Lake Norman at lovelkn.org. If you live in our area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday. If you're not near our church, we want to encourage you to find a life-giving church to be a part of where you live. That will be a key next step on your spiritual journey. Please take a minute, subscribe to this podcast, and keep up to date with our weekly messages. And thanks again for joining the Love Lake Norman podcast.